Bible Institute, 758 students as of this morning from all over the world. Uh, that number goes up every week. We had, we had students all over every week. Very interesting group. The, uh, I look at the map sometimes of where everybody's coming from, and it's all over the globe. It's pretty fascinating how the Internet connects those things and makes it possible. So um, at our Bible Institute, you can earn an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree if you would like. It's all free. There's 110 courses on there right now. You need 40 to get a bachelor's. You need 20 to get an associate's. We are adding new courses as we speak. And we'll be adding them all year. Plus, I've started doing my Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings and offering them as courses as well. So if you're coming and you want to get it for credit, all you've got to do is go to the Bible Institute online, onlinebibleinstitute.org, register as a student, and start following along. There'll be a, a question that I ask that you have to watch a video or have been here to know how to answer because you, you won't be able to find it because it'll be something silly that I say at some point in time. So uh, so there you go. That's how you do that. And I think we'll probably go through just on Sundays and Wednesdays five courses a year. So you just have to come for four years and pay attention and you can get an associate's degree. How about that? So there you go. And it's free. So... Uh, Great. We are. Um, we just started a new course uh, last week. I'm calling it uh, the Epistles of Paul, and uh, it's part of our New Testament survey. But we're going to look at the epistles that Paul wrote, and um, he he Paul's writings take up a big chunk of the New Testament, and he really is he's addressing the churches. Um, Either, either after he's been, he writes a lot of letters, he's been to a church. Paul's pattern was that he would go to a church and get it started. He'd go to a town and get a church started. And then he would generally get run out of town. Not by the church that he started, but by everybody else. And he would pray and he would go start another one next town over. And that was Paul's journeys. He, he had those missionary journeys and where he would go. And he'd go as God sent him and he would start churches. He would come into an area. He would go into the synagogue, start to preach in those synagogues were almost always some um, Gentiles who were God-fearers. Uh, they would often be uh, listening to what Paul had to say, and when they kicked him out of the synagogue, which would happen, um, some Jewish believers would go with him, and with a lot of these God-fearers, they would start meeting somewhere, and he would teach them the gospel. Uh, somebody there in a the group would begin to rise up as a leader, and, and Paul would teach them what he could in the short time that he was with them. The longest of these places he was at was like three years. Most of the time it was weeks or months. He would teach them what he could, and then he would go and he'd say, well, what I taught you, you teach that to everybody who comes along, and I will send you back somebody when I can. And that's when you see he sends out Timothy and Titus and his guys. He'd go check on these churches, find out what's going on. The churches, when they had questions, would ask Paul. They'd send him letters. And a lot of what we have as epistles is him writing those things back. He's dealing with the church. And, you know, the, the church was a brand new thing. Um, it's 2,000 years old now, but back then it was brand new. They didn't have anything. to. Ex- it was completely different than what they'd experienced. It wasn't like the synagogue in any way, shape, or form. It was different. So they're doing new things, and there's a lot of questions that come up on how it's supposed to happen. So we learn that in these epistles. Paul really gives instruction to the church, and God uses him to sort of give it great direction and leadership in the beginning. Well, we are looking right now at the book of Romans, and we started digging into that last week and talked about Paul and 
I did a little, a little introduction on the book and how it was written. And it's one of the few letters he was writing to a church that he didn't start, but he wanted to visit, and he had for a long time. And so he was, uh, he was just writing down some of the basics, and as he sent it along, really it's a, very, uh, it's a book of doctrine. And in the um, book of Romans is something that I thought you should know, and it's called the Romans Road. You've probably heard that if you've been around a church for any length of time, but the Romans Road to Salvation is a collection of verses in Romans that you can use to help someone come to know Christ. And uh, it's, a, it's really a very simple but powerful explanation of why we need salvation, how God provided it, um, how we can receive it, and what the results of it are. So it really answers sort of the basic fundamental questions of what it looks like. So I think it's there in your notes. But uh, the first step in the Romans road, if you would, the first place along the journey is Romans 3:23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's a great point to start a discussion. If somebody's asking you questions, uh, because that's what it, it means. What it says, all have sinned. All of us have sinned. We've all been, since we've sinned, we've fallen short of the glory of God. So the, the, the thing that we're dealing with is God is perfect and holy. So if you have to explain this to people, you've probably been asked some of these questions before, and people will start asking you. You know, we deal with a, a common belief now in our culture that um, all you really have to do is be good. You just need to be a good person. You, you hear that everywhere. It's all over television. and every, that's, It's a common belief. If you ask people, what does it take, you know, because um, in our country still, most people believe in, a, in heaven and actually believe in God, um, some sort of belief in God. But if you ask them about what it looks like, they think, well, I just think you need to be a good person. And, and then where that starts to become tricky is, well, who gets to define what good is as opposed to what? Does that just mean you're more good than bad? But is that really good? Because you're You've outweighed your good with your but A lot of people think that, right? You just need to outweigh your good. It's a point system. How many, how many of you people have ever, have you heard people think it's a point system? And a lot of people believe it very firmly. Oh, I just got to do more. I worked with a guy once who was, he was, he was a nice enough guy, but he was doing a lot of stuff that he shouldn't have been doing. I mean, lots of stuff. Like any, anything you could think of that you probably shouldn't do. He was one of those guys. But he would purposely give money to organizations and charities and stuff. And he told me, I'm just buying tickets to heaven. And, and I'm like, it don't work that way because I don't want to hear that. <laughs> uh, and, and yet that was a sort of an entrenched belief that as long as you were trying to sort of do more good than bad, and a lot of people believe that. It's not the issue. The issue is this. God is perfect. And we're not. And And... Perfect God, to be in the presence of perfect God would require perfection. Once you've sinned, you're not there anymore. And it just took one. It's not a, a more, it's once you've sinned. And guess what? We've all sinned. Everybody. It says it right there. All have sinned. And you're, you're born into it at this point because of the, the fall. Um, we have a sin nature. And, and people go, oh, you can't think that little kids and stuff. All you've got to do is spend one morning in one of our nurseries on Sunday. And you'll believe that <laughs> kids are rough. 
they steal toys from each other, and they you get you'll get, always get one kid that wants all the toys at once. He can't even play with them all, but you don't want anybody to have a toy, and the other ones go trying to get the attention. It's a mess. But we're born in it, so we've all messed up. Well, once we've messed up, we have an issue. We're separated from God, and, and that's the overall problem. God is perfect. We're not, and this giant chasm exists in the process. So the beginning of this thing is all of us sinned, and we've fallen short of the glory of God. We're separated. Paul, in Romans 3.10 through 18, gives a, a picture of what sin looks like in our lives. He says this, as it is written... There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. He's sort of quoting from the Old Testament, giving a description of what sin looks like. And you all, oh, well, I'm not that bad, but all of us have gone our own way. That's sort of the, the definition of sin. We've chosen to do it our way, not God's. And we're all guilty of that. And then we, we sort of have a habit of trying to measure ourselves against somebody that's worse than us. See, that's if you don't have a standard for good, that's what you try and do. Well, I'm better than that person, so I must be okay. And it's ridiculous because you... The, the only, you're not supposed to compare yourself anyway, because either you'll find somebody that's doing way better than you and you, you, you know you can't ever measure it, or you find somebody that's doing way worse than you, and that's not right either. So if you need to compare yourself to anybody, compare yourself to Jesus, and that's all it takes. Because <laughs> you'll go, oh, yeah, that's, I, I'm not going to make it like this. In my own strength, I can't do it. So what happens? Well, the second part of the road is Romans 6.23, the wages of sin... Is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you, you start to get some good news introduced in here. So we've all sinned, Romans 3.23, and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of that is death. That's what we all deserve. Sin leads to death. That's how it works. Um, it's the consequence of sin. So the punishment that we've earned for our sin, the punishment that we deserve is, is death. Um, and that's not just a physical death. It's an eternal death. It's a separation. It, it's the result of what happens, and we're separated from God. So you have, you have a reality, and then you, you have the beginning of the good news. Third step, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So this really picks up where Romans 6.23 left off. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus the Lord. And what he did, he demonstrates his love to us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus pays the price of our sin. And, and his resurrection proves that God accepted the payment of Jesus for our sins. He accepted it. That's the, the point of the resurrection. So what happens is... Here, here's God, perfect, that hasn't changed, all of us have sinned, down here, can't get back in our own strength, there's not, see, and oftentimes we get confused because we think we can work our way back, you can't, you can't earn your way back, there's nothing you can do, there's no set of rules that you can follow, there's nothing figured out that, that can get us back there, but God's made a way, and what he's done is that Jesus has come, fully God, fully man, lived the perfect, sinless life that none of us could, and then willingly went to the cross on our behalf, 
where he died and exchanged his life for ours, and he paid for our sin. Then he defeats death. He rises again. I always do that. And so in his death and resurrection, there's a way for us to be reconciled to God because God chooses to see all who believe in what Jesus has done through the perfection of his son. That's how that's restored. We just had a whole weekend on that when I talked about justification and what that means. Romans 10:9. Here's how. Fourth step. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So because of what Jesus has done, his death on our behalf, all we have to do is believe in him, trusting in his death as a payment for our sins, understanding that, and we'll be saved. Romans 10.13 says the same thing. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins and to rescue us from eternal death. And salvation, the forgiveness of sins, is available to anyone who trusts in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That's how that works. So we, the message that I'm doing on the weekends, talks, we've talked a lot about these things. Remember, I said it's all about the cross. It's what, about Jesus, what Jesus has done. Where do we end up in trouble? We almost always plus it. Cross plus. That's what I like to call it because it's, it's a, so true that we have these cross pluses, that we've, we've added things to the cross. And then we expect people to live under those things and that everybody does it. And one of the things we have to do is we have to be willing to wrestle through with God and to make sure that we're dealing with our own pluses that we've added. And that we, we keep getting back to the cross. You can't earn it. We always want to add stuff to it. It's been the tendency of the church, and we, we discussed that in, in the, one of the last weekends too. We keep going back to adding things to it. It's this tendency that we have that, that we get that somehow it's by grace, but we're, we're sure that we have to work in order to stay justified. And you can't. You, you, you can't earn it to get in, and you, you can't, can't keep in by, by continuing to work. Fifth thing, Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So because God chooses to see us in the perfection of his son, that's in effect justification, just as if we'd never sinned. We're now at peace with God. The conflict that we had is gone. The, the, the chasm is overcome because he's seeing us through Jesus and we can be at peace with him. We have peace with God our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we engage in relationship with him. Uh, Romans 8.1 says it's not part of the step, but it's there. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he, he, doesn't, he sees us in the perfection of his son. That's one of the hardest things for us to grasp. And the enemy tries to keep us from getting a hold of it firmly. Because the enemy loves to use guilt and shame. It's some of his strongest tactics. So that's some of the stuff we talk about. If he can keep you bound up in guilt and shame, you don't live the life that we have in Christ as effectively as you, as you could have. And why would he not want you to be that? Um, not only does he like to mess with you, it keeps you from impacting others the way that we could actually impact them when we've embraced this life to the full. And then, number six, it's a precious promise. Romans eight thirty-eight and 39. I am convinced that neither death nor life, 
neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So when, when we come to Christ, we're, we're into relationship with him and he's got us and he's for us and there's nothing that compares with it. So um, some people say, oh, well, you, you know, you can just say something and then you can do whatever you want to do. You haven't grasped the reality of what it means to be a, a, a believer, a Christian, a follower of Christ, if that's the way that you look at it. Because when you get what's happened to you, you change in that you want to start to live for him. It's not rule following, but we're not trying to get him to respond to us by living a certain way. We're living a certain way in response to what he's already done. That's one of the things we're talking about on the weekend. So, terms that come up with talking about this with folks. One of them is the wrath of God. Um, I said this last week. A lot of people think that the wrath of God is limited to the Old Testament, and that's why they don't like it. But Jesus talks about the wrath of God in the New Testament. So it's a very valid thing. Uh, And again, we have this cultural thing that has people have trouble. Oh, you know, you have a... You ever heard people say, well, how can you, uh, the God that does all those things, how can you, how can you have a God like that? And you're like, okay, so, so then we're trying to make God in our own image. Do you know that happens? Always has. That's, that's the whole problem with idols is we're always trying to make God in our own image. We, we often think that we can fashion God into being whatever we want. And then culturally they, they come up with a lot of ideas about who God is and people begin to buy into them and then they miss the idea that they're far off and that they need to get right with God because, oh, we're fine. And the problem is sin is horrific. Um, and God's always made it known that sin was a big deal from the very first time of the fall. Animals were sacrificed in, a, in order to begin to cover that. And throughout the Old Testament, the, the amount of sacrifice that it took to cover sin was a constant reminder of how horrific sin was. The people that lived could not ever take sin lightly in what was happening because it was a constant parade of, of animals that needed to be paid with this whole process. And there was things burning all the time. And it was so people would never forget how horrific sin was. And that to the point now when Jesus would go and deal with a horrific death, the, the crucifixion, the, the most torturous device of death that there, there has ever been. You need to know that God willingly went to that. But it was cruel and from, its, from the beginning. of They would beat them and tire them down and then nail them to this tree. And then every time they pushed for a breath, they would have to strain against the pain. And it, what would happen is they would begin to suffocate. Um, on their in, in just what was happening and they they would have to push to take a breath which would make all the pain worse and until they slowly suffocated because they just couldn't push up anymore and that would go on days usually but jesus was six hours um but still huge when when we think about what was going on but it's because of the the wrath of god and the wrath of God is it's a divine response to human sin and disobedience. There's a there's a consequence to sin. And and uh, the Old Testament prophets talked about a day in the future, a day of wrath that uh, that we know is there. And um, that wrath awaits for anyone who rejects 
the plan of God to make it back. That's a, it's a sad, sad reality. It's not the heart of God to, to, he wants everybody, he's made a way for everybody to get back. And ultimately what happens is, at the end, because people go, well, how can God, you know, just separate all these folks and these go there and these go there. God, um, the heart of God is for everyone to come in. But um, he will ultimately honor everybody's choice that they make now. That's kind of the deal. So, you know, the choice that we make in this life is the one that we keep through the next. And so um, Jesus says things like this in John 3:36: Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. Jesus said that in the process. Um, Paul says in Romans 2, 5 through 6, But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. If we've come to know Christ, we're spared that. If we haven't, it lies in the distance. Romans 5, 9, Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? And so those are the promises. So there, there is a, a consequence of sin that we need to be aware of. Um, you generally here, I spend most of my time talking about the love of God. Because I think that people that, loved into the, that are loved into the kingdom make much better disciples than those that are scared in. Um, some people use the other tactic. I just, I think... If you're loved into the kingdom, you make a really good disciple because you get it. And uh, you don't need to be scared in, but it's part of what's going on. Why do we need to be saved? Because the, the wrath of God is a very real thing. Another term is redemption. Oh, and we're going to spend all weekend talking about redemption. This, I have a great story for redemption this weekend. We're going to look together at the book of Ruth, and it's, I think it's really going to be good. But um, we all need to be redeemed. And... Christ's redemption, uh, what it does, it frees us from guilt. Part of it is justification. Romans 3.24, we're justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. But redemption sort of encompasses a lot of things. It includes eternal life, forgiveness of sins, righteousness, freedom from the law's curse, adoption into God's family, deliverance from sin's bondage, peace with God, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Um, all those things are wrapped up in the idea of what it means to be redeemed. Uh, the, the word means to buy out. The, the term was used specifically in reference to the purchase of a slave's freedom. And uh, so if we are redeemed, which the scripture says, it means we were once in slavery. And that's the reality. We were in slavery and bondage to sin. And in him, he's purchased our freedom so that we can... Uh, we can be free from it. And then, then there's another word that you won't use in normal discussion, and that's propitiation. The only, the only place I think you ever see that word is in the Bible, right? Propitiation. And you've only ever said it and seen it if you've read it much. Um, and it carries with it the idea of appeasement or satisfaction towards God. But it's, it's, got, a, it's got a two-pronged thing, propitiation. Uh, it involves appeasing the wrath and being reconciled to that person. So for us, propitiation is, is that, that Jesus has made a way for um, that the wrath to be appeased and what he's done. And he's made a way for us to be reconciled to God. And so 
that's what propitiation means when you read it. And, and God himself has provided the only means by which that can happen, that his wrath can be appeased and that sinful man can be reconciled to him. Uh, and, um, and so that idea is always about Jesus and what he's done for us. There's nothing we can do, nothing we can um, earn, nothing we can you know, work through or pay for or whatever it is. It's only possible in Christ. Sometimes in our culture, people really struggle with that. How can you say that Jesus is the, the only way? What about everybody else? I, I'm, um, there's a lot that could be said about all that. Here's, here's what I think about the whole deal. It's because of our culture, we have the arrogance to say, huh, how can God only give us one way instead of saying, thank God that there's a way back because we didn't deserve it. We all chose to go our own way. Do you get it? We've all basically told God at some point and gone our own way. And he's God, creator of all things, and we've gone our own way. That there's a way back is the reason that we stand up and shout sometimes for the good news that we have. There is a way. Thank God there's a way. Or we, where would we be? There's a way back. So I often just think, rather than get all confused with all the other stuff... I know this is the way, and I'm very happy about that. God, God deals with the rest. My whole mission, our whole mission, is to share the good news that we have. And that's what we do. And if people go, well, I can't do this or that, they're usually just looking for an excuse, um, which I understand. Um, but we need to be aware of how we can talk with folks when they sort of ask us those questions. Hebrews 2.17, Therefore... He, Jesus, had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. So, again, two sort of prongs to that, appeasing the wrath of God and making a way for us to be reconciled. That happens in Christ. Romans three twenty four and 25. Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God, he passed over the sins previously committed. So in Christ, we've been justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. It's really, really amazing. And, um, that's at the heart of the gospel message that we talk about here all the time. Christ died for our sins, was buried. He rose again on the third day. He's made a way for us to be reconciled to him. So in these first few chapters of Romans that we've been talking about, Paul makes an argument that everybody, um, because of sin, is ultimately under the condemnation of God, deserving of his wrath, um, uh, and all of us deserve that, but God in his infinite grace and mercy has provided a ray that his wrath can be appeased and that we can be reconciled to him. And that's through the sacrificial, sacrificial death of his son Jesus as the atonement or payment for sins. And so it's through faith in Jesus Christ as God's perfect sacrifice um, that we can be reconciled to God. And so that's at the heart of all that we do and, and all that we believe and, and, uh, that, that this is the, the heart of our mission and why we exist and that we continue to walk this thing out and, and to love God in, in the um, 
hopes that we're able to share that with other people because lots of people are stuck in darkness. And we, we did a whole big series on that just recently. So um, we know that's happening. First John 2, 2, he himself, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world that he's made a way for all, not for us who believe now and for those who need to believe yet. Those are the people he's talking about. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He's made a way for everyone, but they need to come into the process the way that we do. And so people have that choice. They can either accept Jesus or they reject Jesus. And those are kind of the options. But there's no other way. There's, there's no other way for the wrath of God to be appeased and in order to be reconciled to God other than Christ. There is nothing else that exists. So, you know, the challenge has always been how do we present that to people in a way that they can hear it, think about it, respond to it, and um, get that that's real. And generally, it's, it's that we love people well enough that we earn the right to speak to them when they, when they ask us questions. If we haven't loved them well, we never get the opportunity. If you try and force this message on people before you've earned the, um, the sort of right to do so, it, it will not go anywhere. But this is the faithfulness of God. See, one of the things I'm, I'm always excited about is, so I didn't, I've told you this, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. We never went to church. Um, and I didn't hear the gospel message until I was 18. I was in college, and somebody came into my dorm room to talk to my roommate about it, and I, I basically blocked it out. I didn't really want to hear it. I heard bits and pieces of it, but it was just a big joke. I'm pretty sure I was just drinking beer and throwing cans down on the floor <laughs> very loudly in the process. I was, you know, being horrible. Yeah, I was good at that. And uh, um, But I heard it a little, and then I heard it some when I was 19 from my friend Bob Miller. And to the point where after that situation that I had, when he spoke to me, I got it, but I couldn't see how. That was a big thing for me. How do Christians have any fun is what I thought. So um, when I heard it again at 25, was in a, and that's when it took. Um, so all those things were happening, but the, the person who really had the opportunity to speak to me had earned the opportunity to speak to me, and it stayed in there. I didn't act on it, but it stayed in there. And uh, that's you know, why we do a lot of the things that we do here, is we hang out with people, and we have something to eat with people, and we, we learn to talk to them over time, and we, we don't push them. Um, we give them the opportunity to, to ask questions when, they, when they've come a little bit, and when they... Uh, and they feel ready to respond. And people come in here all the time. You know, we have the amazing fortune of seeing a lot of people come to Christ here. A lot. Probably more than you realize. And uh, it's fascinating for me to watch. And then having been here now 30-some years, watching the change in lives that happens that's ongoing in people. Um, and knowing that it's a God thing, that, that God's the one who changes lives. But um, it's, a, it's an amazing journey that he's got us on and that we're all part of it. And he uses us all in the process. And you, you just never know what things that you're doing that are having an impact. But, 
but you will. And there's a lot of them. I, I think that the, there may be an opportunity in, when we are, uh, have all gone to be with Jesus where we get to sort of see people that impacted us and we're able to say something. And then people will come and say, oh, you, you might not know me, but you made a difference in my life. And uh, I think that will be, that'll probably be fun for a thousand years or so. I don't know. <laughs> You'll have lots of time. You won't have to rush it. Tell me exactly what I did for you. <laughs> Talk about me. I don't think you'll be like that in heaven. But uh, <laughs> but you, you, you just think it's going to be a pretty awesome thing. All right. That's enough. I'm just droning on. We'll get uh, more into it next week. If you're watching my video, thanks for watching. And I will... Uh,